Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Our economic indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Well, the number of the morning initial jobless claims rises by 17,000 to 274,000 from 257,000 the week before. That's a five-week high, uh, one estimation of Washington, D.C., so that wouldn't have a major effect on it. So no real special factors uh, involved here. So uh, we are just up uh, to 274,000. Of course, that still keeps us... In the range of you know the historical lows, Mike, we don't we we don't do horse race. I mean, I guess that comes into jobs tomorrow. Not much move in the market as well. We don't do horse race, but you were kind enough to forward Mr. Cook in his first look post Tuesday electoral con. I just went back and looked. I'd never done this. 1964, 486 votes electoral college votes is what LBJ got. And then I jump forward to Nixon McGovern, 520, 486 for Johnson to 520 for Nixon, 489 for that big Reagan win. And then an even bigger win in 1984 for Reagan, 525. And Mr. Cook has the secretary at 304 votes, way below a landslide like the ones we collectively remember in our childhood. Well, there are 44 votes he puts in the toss-up category. Yeah. This is all going in uh, to the campaign, the, the general election campaign. This is yeah. uh, what he thinks right now. If you want to look at uh, votes that he says are are solid for the Democratic nominee, 190 for the Republican nominee, 142. He says, you know, there's states like uh, Wyoming, Montana, out west, and the yeah. southern states, South Carolina, you know, Mississippi, that they're just not going to flip parties no matter who is the nominee. So um, Ohio, of course, he puts in the toss-up category. And as we know, yeah. as Ohio goes, so goes the nation. Oh, really? Okay. Ohio's always uh, pretty much voted for the winner. So well, there it is, is. The ultimate swing state. Sort of the first look at the uh, Derby. They would call it Derby in England. They would. I don't know what they call it in Florida. Scott Brown. Scott Brown with Raymond James uh, joining us now. Scott, can you be long the market? I mean, the basic theme this morning into jobs tomorrow is with our great distortion, things are priced to perfection. Are they really? Uh, not necessarily. I think, uh, you know, this is still kind of viewed as the sweet spot maybe for the market in that, you know, the economy is still expanding. It's not tearing the cover off the ball, but, but you know, the, we are improving. We're seeing slack being removed from the uh, the job market. Uh, inflation pressure is still relatively contained. So the Fed really in no hurry to, to raise rates. Uh, we do expect them to, to raise rates down the line. But, um, you know, th- that backdrop, I think, is pretty favorable. Uh, on the other hand, we still have all the same worries that we started with, at the, you know, at the beginning of the year. That is, the, the rest of the world is still looking uh, pretty cloudy. Uh, there are some downside risks there that may be pretty substantial. 
that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the world's going to implode, but it does mean uh, perhaps a, a bit more cautious outlook for investors. So a little bit of back and forth in the market, and I think that's natural. What uh, what do you uh, think of uh, the economy these days? Uh, we, the markets think that uh, it's going to certainly slow down. The Fed's not going to be raising interest rates anytime soon, but they keep forecasting reasonably decent yeah. numbers. Well, that's been the case now for a while, and even the Fed has been optimistic. If you know, if you look at the dot plots, you know the dots uh, quarter after quarter have been drifting a bit, bit lower. Uh, but the Fed still, I think, is, is very much in tightening mode. They're still committed to normalizing monetary policy. Um, you're still seeing maybe a cautious environment. You know, we had some soft GDP numbers for the, the first quarter, but you look at the details, and, you know, consumer spending did pretty well, uh, still hanging in there. It was the big drop in, in business fixed investment. And, you know, more than three-quarters of that was the, the continued contraction we're seeing in, in energy exploration. Mining structures was the big big subtracting uh, element in, in the first quarter. Uh, and that's not going to last forever. Uh, the rest of capital spending is, is mixed and still a bit soft. You've got election uncertainty. Uh, but at the same time, the market often climbs a wall of worry. We'll come back uh, with Scott Brown and uh, talk more about the economy and the Fed and the markets. But uh, before we take a break here, uh, enough of that silly making money and investing stuff. Uh, Tampa Bay, New York Islanders. Uh, um, you're going to hold uh, – Tampa Bay has a two-to-one in, uh, lead in games. Um, you can beat the Islanders? They have not a Tampa Bay, which which I think a lot of people in the northeast of the nation, for those of you worldwide, Tampa Bay is where hockey isn't, except they have a very good hockey team. So Mr. Brown is a, yeah. a, a fan. Is he a fan? Yes. The, the Tampa Bay defense. They put on a very good show here, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so now you've, you've, you've taken the last game in overtime. Where do you go from here? Well, if we take this one, it, it, it looks pretty good. Uh, we'll be coming back home on uh, on Sunday, so uh, it could be a nice present for, for Mom on Mother's Day. Does know? everybody sit home in Tampa and watch the away games? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, we do get we do get a lot of, of uh, you know – Hockey tourists coming in whenever, you know, there's an East Coast team. Certainly people are coming down and, and bidding up, buying seats in the secondary market. Uh, that's a little bit annoying. But, you know, the fan base here is very, very strong, and, and they do an excellent job in in, uh, in promoting the team here. The, the games are really fun to go to. Scott Brown is uh, chief economist at Raymond James in Tampa and uh, uh, Tampa Bay number one hockey fan. We, we should do that, Tom. We should be hockey tourists. I like that. We could do it like idea. you go to baseball parks yeah. around the well, country. Go to hockey rinks. Visit all the playoffs. We'll continue with Scott Brown. Arthur Levitt rumored to be with us later as well. Futures up six. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. It's appearing more likely that it will be the Republican Donald Trump against the Democrat Hillary Clinton. In the November presidential election, yesterday, Republican John Kasich pulled out of the race a day after rival Ted Cruz did so. Trump no longer faces Republican competition. Democrat Bernie Sanders is the only other candidate still in the race. People in Britain are electing a new mayor for London today. Turkey's prime minister says he will not run in the new leadership contest of the ruling AKP party later this month. 
Prime Minister Ahmed Davutoglu said today the party should be united in the convention. Davutoglu lost a power struggle with Turkey's president. New York State is reaching out to uninsured members of New York's boxing community in an effort to get them health insurance. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that the state's official health plan and the new state athletic commission are working together to give uninsured boxers access to health coverage and proper medical treatment. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? All right, speaking of sports, let's check in with John Stashauer for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. All right, thanks, Mike, for one night. Anyway, everything went well with the Yankees. A shutout from CC Sabathia in the bullpen. They fielded well, turning three double plays, and they finally hit, scoring three runs in the sixth inning, four more in the eighth to win seven nothing at Baltimore, ending a six-game losing streak. Before the Yanks won seven to nothing, the Mets won eight to nothing over Atlanta behind Steven Matz and four home runs, two by Lucas Duda. Mets have won six straight series the first time in a decade. NBA playoffs, Cleveland's yet to lose. Up to zip on Atlanta, game to a blowout, 123 to 98. It was 74 to 38 at halftime, and the Cavs ended up with 25 made three-pointers, which is an NBA record for any game, regular or postseason. NHL in Pittsburgh, Penguins and Capitals, 2-2 in overtime. Now along for Sheary, through one in front. Penguins on the Patrick Hornquist game winner, 234 to go up 3-1 in the series. The Caps only lost 18 games all year. They've now lost five of their last seven facing elimination. The Penguins have now won 21 of 25. Islanders and Tampa Bay game four tomorrow in Brooklyn with Tampa up 2-1. And Brian Boyle will play for the Lightning and avoiding suspension for his hit on Thomas Hickey that came before Boyle scored a game-winning goal in game three. Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashe. John, thanks so much. We, uh... We're under criticism here. We are? Yeah, we've been talking about things like Donald Trump and the markets and the Fed. Uh, somebody has written in, they're, they're very upset with us, uh, suggesting that you and I know nothing about the Minnesota Vikings. That would be true. That, that, that our, our, our comments about the Vikings draft choices Let us, were rather ignorant. They, they were, and we got zero help from <laughs> Brian Belsky. What we do, folks, within the, the combat of economics, finance, and investment, we find guests that have charming idiosyncrasies. David Harrow likes a team from Green Bay. Brian Belsky uh, bleeds purple. So we were reviewing their draft choices. <laughs> Mr. Belsky suggested they should have passive management. We won't go there. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. The sports report was brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. The spring split sales event is happening now. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com. Land Rover, above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. And filings for U.S. unemployment benefits increased to a five-week high. Jobless claims rose by 17,000 to 274,000. That was in the week ending April 30th. Sanofi said it sent a letter to Medivation's board urging the company to engage in negotiations regarding the French drug maker's unsolicited $9.3 billion takeover offer and threatening to go directly to shareholders if talks don't begin. Developed markets rebounding as investors took solace from a second day of gains in oil prices. Though assets in emerging economies told a different story amid a sell-off in Turkey, we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. And futures this morning are higher. S&P E-mini futures are up six points. Dow E-mini futures up 46. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 13. DAX in Germany, little change. Ten-year treasury down 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.78%. NYMEX crude oil up 4.6% or $2.04 to 45.82 a barrel. COMEX gold up 9 tenths percent or $11.30 to 12 85.60 an ounce. The euro, $1.1428. The yen, 106.91. And Alibaba Group's fourth quarter revenue rising 39%. That beat analyst estimates after China's biggest e-commerce company drew in more users and boosted services to merchants on its platforms. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Jonathan Bernstein, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Can we please stop all the blue wall nonsense already? This refers to the supposed near lock the Democrats have on the White House based on states that Democrats have won in every election since 1992. No, elections don't work that way. There is no blue wall. The United States does not have 51 separate independent presidential elections proceeding largely independently. It has one election, and the states move more or less in lockstep in response to the same things. In the last six presidential elections, the Democrats have avoided a bad year, so swing states have mostly wound up in their column. But if the GOP has a good year, then swing states and even marginal Democratic ones will go Republican. Back in 1992, Republicans were said to have an electoral college lock. A run of good years had created the illusion that all the swing states were solidly on their side. All it took was one recession to expose that lock as phony. The Democratic blue wall now is just as phony. I'm Jonathan Bernstein. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view go on the Bloomberg terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Futures up 11, up 6. Uh, now, they're giving back a little bit. I'm going to call it a churn uh, to the market. Gold up $11 after that ugly day yesterday. Volatility in gold. Uh, the yen was 107. We're now through to 106.93. Slightly stronger Japanese yen. This morning, Bloomberg Surveillance, we're brought to you by National Realty, 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net. Michael? We are talking with Scott Brown. He's chief economist at Raymond James down in Tampa. And from uh, from Tampa perspective, looking north at the uh, at the rest of us, is it, does the economy seem stronger? Does inflation seem higher uh, when when you're not in New York or specifically at 20th and C Street in Washington. The reason I ask is we've got enormous amount of Fed speak uh, lately, and we have all these central bank uh, bank presidents from the regional banks suggesting that maybe we want to raise interest rates in December and that things are uh, stronger than they appear. And that doesn't seem to be what we get out of Janet Yellen and the folks uh, on the Federal Reserve Board. And I'm just wondering if there's something that you see out in the country that uh, they don't see in the nation's capital. 
Well, I think we're still seeing uh, that there is still a lot of, of, of slack in, in the job market. We're not seeing wages getting bid up uh, as we normally would uh, in, in a strong job market. Um, you know, bear in mind we had a lot of people moving to the sidelines during the recession. They maybe have given up looking for a job. We've got very low unemployment rates for college-educated workers. Uh, you're seeing, you know, those with high school degrees or even, you know, high school dropouts. Those rates are still relatively high, but they're coming down pretty rapidly. And eventually, we should see that that wage growth start to pick up. Now, this is going to be a big problem, I think, for for a lot of firms, in, in that we're seeing just a general trend of slower productivity growth, not just over the last year, but over over the last five years, and not just in the U.S. And what this means is that um, you know, uh, those, those wage pressures are becoming much more meaningful. You know, if wages are going up 3% and productivity is going up 3%, there's really no inflationary impact there at all. But if wages start to go up 35 4% and productivity growth is still lingering at a half a percent, then that either gets passed through to higher inflation or it's going to eat into corporate profits. And I think we're seeing a lot of evidence, at least in the first quarter, uh, that, that, that squeeze on profits has been more pronounced. Well, the, uh, the the profit question is an issue. A lot of people saying the fact that we've had four quarters now of declining profits, uh, profit recession is underway, and that usually signals a downturn. And that's typical, but uh, you know you can back out specific sectors. Obviously, the the energy side of, of the equation has been been pretty poor. Uh, normally, we see a lot of benefits for, for other firms uh, that depend on energy, but maybe not so much this case. Uh, so the U.S. is less reliant on on imported oil. So so in many ways, we're, we're not going to benefit as much as we might have benefited, you know, say if, if this you know correction in energy prices had happened 20 years ago. Uh, but we do know that that energy contraction is not going to last forever, and that means, uh, you know, that hit to profits is going to go away. And, uh, you know, there's some scope for, for general improvement, I think. Within that optimism has to be a turn in productivity. How does that occur? Well, that's a good question. I, I think we really don't quite understand why productivity growth has slowed down. Uh, it could be a bit of a measurement issue. Uh, it, it does seem to be related to this weak capital spending yeah. that we had during the downturn and early part of the recession. So there, there's less okay. productivity boosting capital yeah. out there. Scott, you're too modest. I'm going to uh, interrupt you. Scott Brown is one of our most um, modest guests. He had the privilege of doing statistics with a guy named Engel and Granger at San Diego. All you need to know, folks, that that's worshiping at the altar of smart. Scott Brown, when we look at productivity, capital, labor, total factor productivity, with your true expertise out of San Diego, can we even pretend to measure our efficiency? Well, obviously, there, there are going to be measurement issues, and anybody who's had any background in the hard sciences know when you start multiplying and dividing statistical estimates, the uncertainty just ex- kind of explodes, and that's what's the case with productivity. There's a measure of, of output. There's statistical uncertainty there. You divide that by a price index, and there's some going to be uncertainty in that, and then you divide that by hours worked, and there's some uncertainty in that measurement there. So the numbers will bounce around from quarter to quarter. The 
underlying trend here is relatively low. But in terms of forecasting, you know, the, you know, economic forecasting is very difficult if you look a year out. If you try to look 10, 20 years out, which is what really matters for things like how are you going to fund the budget deficit, productivity really does matter a lot. And, and it's really difficult to forecast anything that, that far out. We do know that there are going to be huge advances in things like robotics, artificial intelligence. You know, you've got self-driving cars, self-driving trucks even, uh, major advances in medical and care, and some, some things that we're, we can't even imagine right now for the next 10, 20 years. So, you know, there's some hope that, that productivity growth uh, will be able to increase, uh, and I think that really matters a lot in, in terms of the things like how to fund Social Security and Medicare. Have you gleaned in your distance from uh, the evil empire of New York or Washington a pickup in GDP? Are, are we still waiting indications of 2.5% plus growth? Well, I, I think, you know, you, you, there's a lot of criticism about the last few years as being subpar, and that's in comparison to the growth yeah. that we had in the 70s and 80s. But remember, we had women coming into the workforce in much greater numbers. So labor force growth was a lot higher in the 70s, 80s, and, and, and even in the, into the 90s. That labor force participation with more women coming in has, has already played out, and now we're at the, at the end right. of it where the baby boom generation is starting to retire, so participation rate is, is going to be going down. You're looking at probably the job growth in the order of a half a percent per year over the next 10 years. That'll be the trend growth rather than 1%. Um, so that can, means that productivity is going to be even more important. Can the markets live with that, or is everybody going to have a heart attack if we have those kind of numbers? I think, uh, you know, there's going to have to be maybe some some check on the degree of optimism. I mean, you can be, you know, optimistically, you know, in, in your outlook going forward, but not quite ecstatic. Um, you don't really expect to see a, any boom where, where GDP growth right. is, is going to be three and a half, four percent over mm-hmm. uh, you know some period of time. It just just seems incredibly unlikely. Unless you do get that substantial pickup in right. productivity growth, that's going to be the key. Scott Brown, thank you so much with Raymond James. Nice briefing there, Mike. What will you look for tomorrow at eight thirty? What's what's on your mind? Well, for once, the headline number, because we normally look underneath it, but everybody wants to know if the momentum can continue. And then you look at the unemployment rate and you know, put those the two survey's together. The survey is 4.9%. I think it speaks volumes. Some interesting uh, you know, debate about whether or not the Fed is looking at the correct kind of numbers yeah. for wage growth. But uh, we just yeah. want to see if, if the trend continues, because all these Fed people speaking this week are saying, if we get the numbers we expect. So yeah, a year, a year ago, the unemployment rate was 5.4%. If we go back to 4.9%, I don't know, that's 0.5 divided by 5.4 is 8% improvement. That's, that's better, awfully good. Better than Scott was just saying. Yeah, awfully, awfully uh, good. Certainly Lightning we'll, Islanders tonight, we'll see. Yeah, well, it was, it's a beautiful time if you're following hockey. Right now, coming up, we've got so much to talk about with Arthur Levitt, including our annual Surveillance Stripers Review, Bloomberg Surveillance.